Hi, and welcome to the Radius Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in finding out more information about Radius Church, please check us out on our website, radiuschurch.tv. Well, the story of Jonah uh, gives us uh, many practical lessons. Um, If you haven't been on the journey, I encourage you to go back and look at it. The book of Jonah really speaks to where we are as a society politically, socially, spiritually, um, uh, just a number of things. It it even kind of speaks to, and I'm going to deal with this before we get out of the series, it even speaks to the whole cancel culture that we're living in. Because Jonah himself, the man of God, wanted to cancel a whole nother culture. And uh, so we're going to talk about that before we're done. Uh, I think next week I'm going to show you how the book of Jonah was almost written almost like a satire. It was written like a stage play. And so there's a little bit of sarcasm in it. It's hard because the Bible translators didn't translate that sarcasm good. But how many know most of us don't need translation on that subject? And so, uh, but it gives us a lot of lessons as where we, where we are. I want to really boil this down and, and, and really dive because I've talked about how it relates to us as a country, how it relates to us politically, how it relates to us both nationally and in our culture. But today I want us to hear it as though it relates very specifically to where we are as a church body. And so I want us to consider some things. So let's read Jonah chapter number 3, verses 1 through 10. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And I had a hard time not writing a message off the second time. And so here's my little sermonette. All right, everyone? The call of God is without repentance. So when he calls you the first time and we don't obey, how many know God is relentlessly in love with us and loves us too much to leave us the way we are? So he will always come back and call us a second time. Come on, that's a sermon right there, you know? Okay. Woo! We got a fired up crowd. So if you're new around here, I usually highlight some words, and those are the words we're going to kind of dive into a little bit. So I have three words out of these ten verses that I want us to consider today. Verse number two. Go to the great city of Nineveh. I love that God still called the city great, even though it was filled with evil. Aren't you glad he did that in your life too, right? And proclaim uh, to it the message I give you. Jonah, notice the difference between chapter 3 and chapter 1. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. That's our second word. Now, Nineveh was, was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Let me put this in perspective. Jonah, imagine this kind of preacher. In 40 days, uh, God's going to bring judgment on all of you people. Come, aren't you glad you don't have to listen to that kind of preaching today, right? Thank you, Jesus, for the New Testament and, the, and grace. Here's our third word, the Ninevites. So we have go, Nineveh, and Ninevites. That's the three words we're going to build our message off of. The Ninevites believed God. Interesting. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down 
in the dust. It goes on. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. So here's an evil king that's hearing this prophet say, God's coming. you got 40 days to clean up your act, all right? By the decrees of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Basically, he's, he's claiming a fast, a, a prayer meeting, okay, for lack of a better term. Uh, herds and flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently, watch this, on God. I want you to notice there's a capital G there. Because these were pagans, they were g- little God worshipers. Remember when he was, remember when he was with the sailors in, in the Bible? We, we did this, and, and, and it said they prayed to their own gods, little g gods. Okay? But now they're praying to the God. Because the little g gods failed them. Come on, somebody, right? And, and so they prayed to God. Let them give up their evil ways. And their violence uh, is what it says. And then, who knows? Here's the king. Who knows? God may yet relent with compassion, turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Here's a pagan ruler thinking, saying to his people, hey, maybe there's something to this God thing. Maybe God will answer our prayer. Hey, could I encourage now Christian people that maybe God will answer your prayer. Amen, everybody? Watch this. Verse number 10, it'll be our last verse. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, He relented and did not bring on them the destruction He had threatened. Now, if you're new to church, this portion of Scripture is in the Old Testament. We see a lot of these kind of stories in the Old Testament. This is the old, what we would call dispensation or the old covenant, okay, where we see a lot of judging and those kind of things. But we are grateful that the New Testament now, that we are covered in Jesus and we are under the grace dispensation, and so he's not going to destroy us, everybody, okay? And so, just to give you a little background, in case when I read that you felt like, oh my, that's why I don't come to church. I'm afraid of God, okay? You don't have to be. The Bible says that God put our punishment on His Son, Jesus. And all we have to do is confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that He is Lord. Isn't that good? So, three words, three words here. The words that we highlighted was the word go, the word Nineveh, and the word Ninevites. These three words... I want to break them down, and I want us to consider our purpose, because God said go, and he's still saying that today. So we still have a purpose today. I want us to consider our place. God has a place, a a sphere of influence, or our radius, come on now, for us. He has a place. It's not by accident that we are right here, right now, at this time. So he has a purpose for us. He has a place for us. And then lastly, I love this last little part because God was speaking to the Ninevites and we have a people that God has called us to, that we live in such a time as this. All right, you guys ready for them? Here they are. Three points. I'm going to do about 45 minutes on each point. Are you guys good with that? (laughs) One person said, yeah. Okay, here we go. Number one, let's talk about our purpose a little bit. Um, This is Jonah's mission. When God said to go, now notice, 
God called them to a purpose or a mission. I'll interchange those words in chapter number one. In chapter number one, Jonah wasn't ready for his purpose, so he went and ran and did his own thing. But after he got done doing his own thing, just like prodigal son number one, come on, at the end of it, God was still there waiting patiently saying, my plans for you have not changed. That is good news for us today because there is nothing that you have done that messes up God's original intention and purpose on your life. You cannot sit here in a black chair and disqualify yourself and say no to God because I did this, that, or the other thing. God is relentlessly in love with us and pursuing us and has a plan and purpose for our life. That's good news, everybody, right? But this is Jonah's mission, and it's easy to look backwards on an Old Testament story and forget that the story is relevant to us today. Mission is something that we don't often talk about in the modern-day church. I don't think we often talk about our corporate mission, what God has called us to, what God has called you to. It's one of the reasons we have next steps to help you understand your personality type and help you understand your spiritual gifts because God has put a plan and a purpose in all of us. But collectively, he assembles the right people, come on, in the right place. That means you're sitting right next to the right person, everyone. He assembles the right people in the right place at the right time to accomplish his purpose on this earth. And we get to be a part of that. Come on, that's good news, everybody, right? So, so as a church, we have to remember that we are called to a purpose. Our purpose is not to gather on Sunday mornings hear a maniac preacher preached like crazy, like spastic, I'm talking about me, and it's okay to say amen. And, 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 and then either thumbs up that or thumbs down that. No, that one was okay. That one was, And then go home and never give it another thought and then come back here and do it all again. That's not the purpose of the church. This is what I call the pepper. This is the locker room talk, everybody. This is the, come on, we can do it. Go beat up another devil, you know, and now get out there and run your positions. The church starts when we walk out of these doors. This is the pep rally. This is the filling station. This is where we come together and celebrate the goodness of our God. When we moved to town, we were getting ready to start the church just about five years ago. Uh, I have no ill feelings, but I want to tell this part of the story. I had a pastor that asked me a little bit with a critical tone, or at least that's how I interpreted it. Um, and he said, why are you planting another church in Skagit Valley? As if Skagit Valley didn't need another church. And, and, and I said, well, look, there's a lot of great churches in the valley, but it is my personal belief that every city in America needs another, not just church, but needs another life-giving church. I believe that. And I believe that every church has, can and should represent a part of the character of God. We all as a church, all the churches should have one mission, but how we go about that mission has different colors on it. How many know what I'm talking about, right? And, and so... Uh, we related often to Luke chapter number one. There are four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and John 
were all eyewitnesses to everything that Jesus did. They were watching with their eyes when Jesus brought Lazarus out of the grave. They were watching with their eyes when he had lunch with Zacchaeus. They were watching it, and as they were watching it, they were journaling it, and that's where we got those three books of the Bible. But here comes a guy by the name of Luke who was a physician, and he was not an eyewitness account. And, and, but Luke decided, I'm going to go do a study I'm going to interview I'm going to interview the woman that was caught in the act of adultery. I'm going to interview the woman with the issue of blood. I'm going to go to Lazarus's house and say, "How did it feel to be dead?" I'm going to I'm going to go interview them. Luke chapter 1 verse 1 proves that this is what Luke did. He did all of this work so that he could write a letter to convince one guy who was his friend to become a believer in this gospel of Jesus Christ's grace message. He did all of that, even though there was already three eyewitness accounts of the same story, he went and did all this work so that he could write a letter to his friend Theophilus so that maybe Theophilus would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's the same purpose that we as a church have, that yes, there are lots of great churches in this valley, but perhaps God is gathering a people together for such a time as this to speak to the Theophiluses of life, the people that have not yet believed, come on somebody, because we have a different perspective or we have a different way of telling the story of Jesus. Can I get an amen on that, right? Jonah, Jonah now is called to leave his comfort zone. I know I've already drilled this into it, but Jonah has been called to leave his people group. Because up until that point, remember, I've already preached this, but up until that point, the prophets had only spoken to the people of God. So this is unprecedented territory that God is now saying, hey, Jonah, I don't need you preaching to the church people anymore. I need you to start a church that's going to reach the unchurched. Oh, sorry, that was a terrible paraphrase. I, I need you to go to a group of people that don't believe like, don't have the same worldview, don't have the same God view. I need you to go reach a people that are completely different than you think, and it's possible they're going to get on your nerves because they're so different than you. The person that is on your nerves, Jonah... The person that you want to write a social media post about, Jonah, is the very person that I'm sending my son Jesus to die for, and somebody needs to reach them. Come on, somebody, right? And so, watch this. But Jesus said something. Now, Jonah didn't have the benefit that we have. Jonah didn't know what Jesus was going to say. But Jesus comes along later, and he says this. Jesus said... That they will see, what well, this is all about our purpose, they will see your good deeds and glorify the Father. Yeah. Yeah. What that says to me is the church cannot be satisfied being a preaching station where we keep diving into the Bible and diving into the Bible. Yes, I believe the Bible. And diving into the Bible and hearing different preachers preach on the Bible and do nothing about it. Jesus did not say, by the way you believe, they will glorify the Father. He didn't say, by the way you do church, they will glorify the Father. He didn't even say, by the bumper sticker on your car, they will glorify Jesus. He said, by your good deeds. 
So what you do when you leave this place is what will cause people, because they don't care about hearing another message that Jesus loves them. There are some people in our community that want to see that God loves them. Amen, everybody? And it is by our good deeds. Now, there's a whole study to this. I won't dive into it. But in the, in the New Testament times, the reason that the Christians overthrew the Roman Empire was not because of Ro- why, they con- why they convinced the Roman Empire, the very ones that crucified Jesus, to fall in love with Jesus was because of their good deeds. They couldn't get away from the fact that these Christian folks, no matter how bad we try to shut them up, they keep doing good deeds. In those days, they didn't have abortions, but they'd go abandon babies on lakesides and and hope the weather or the animals would kill them. But the Christians would go rescue them and bring them into their own homes. The Christians would go out and bring backpacks to... Oh, wait, sorry, sorry. The Christians kept doing good deeds, and it changed a whole empire. Because of their good deeds. We will not change our community or your family or, or our homes without good deeds, everybody. Come on now. Jesus said in Matthew 28, this is part of our purpose. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, we can get hung up meaning that means the corners of the world, and it does. But oftentimes in Scripture, sentences and words have double meanings. And all nation means, I'm going to paraphrase just to make the point. All nation means all people groups. That's what it originally meant. But let's contextualize that. All people groups. All buckets. (laughs) All colors. Okay, if you're not, red and blue. Come on, somebody. And rainbows. Uh, Hold on. If you're new, just because I accept somebody doesn't mean I agree with somebody. Because we can accept without agreeing on everything. And we've got to quit canceling people because Jesus told us to love all nations, all people types. Right, everyone? And this is one of the reasons that we go to the homeless on Saturdays. And this is one of the reasons that we give money to Colorado City to help rescue 70% of that city that's been left behind by a cult leader that have no education and no jobs. It's why we're helping rebuild that city. Because you and I are blessed, come on somebody, to be a blessing. Because Jesus himself said, go to all people groups. Now, we can't do every person group. We can't fill every need in our community. But we cannot allow what we can't do to hinder us from things we can do. I wish that we had a hotel. One day we're going to buy one. We're going to buy an old school or an old, old hotel and do a dream center. We're not there yet, but we can put shoes on homeless people's feet, and we can put backpacks on less fortunate kids. Come on, somebody. And we can give groceries to families that are struggling. Are you guys in the building today, right? We can do those things. And so that's why we do that. That's why we help church planters. That's why we've invested uh, a, a lot of money to help church planners like us start churches all over America. 95% of people that are getting saved in today's world are getting saved on Sunday morning in a church that is five years old or less. That's a good place to put our finances, everybody. Right? Because Jesus said, go into all the world. Um, but as a church, we, we, we have to remember we are called to a purpose. Uh, now, everybody isn't called to preach, 
But everybody's called to a purpose, and we are blessed to be a blessing. Now watch, one more time. Jonah was called to leave the safety and the comfort zone and share God's message. So here's the big question. You don't have to answer it out loud, even though I think it would be cool to get like a few hundred people going, yeah, but anyway. <laughs> Jonah was called to get out of his comfort zone, and it's easy to sit here with our lattes and read about Jonah not getting out of his comfort zone. But here's the question today that we all have to wrestle with. Are you willing to leave your comfort zone to fulfill God's purpose in your life? Mm. It's just a thought. Don't look at me so mean mugging, all right? <laughs> now, let me share some things with you. This, this might look a little bit like it's not part of the message, but it's very much part of the message. Every year, our church, first of all, we are almost five years old. We've never taken an offering. Carmen got up here and said, we don't take an offering, but if you want to give, we just feel like God can speak to you about money better than I can speak to you about money. And uh, our money has to do with our spiritual walk, by the way, because if we can trust God with our money, come on, how many know we can trust him with everything, right, everybody? Either he owns it all or he doesn't. Come on now, right? And so, every, uh, and so the only time of the year, every year we ask this, we say, for November we do a thing called a legacy offering. And every year, we just say, hey, during the legacy offering, we want you to pray about what you would do above and beyond your regular giving. And then we take that, we pour a percentage of it back into our community right here. If you've been around here, you've heard those amazing stories. We take another part of that, and we uh, put that into some of our national outreaches, like uh, helping our pastors. Mark and Susan are up in Sitka, Alaska right now, just got done with their first pastor's retreat. Uh, and so we, we help along, like on a national level, Colorado City, Dream Centers, and then we take a portion of it, and we pour right back into this house uh, so that we can continue to be strong to do the things God has called us to do. Well, this year, our trustees have decided we're going to keep it 100% in-house. I know. I just said that to get your attention because that doesn't sound like us. It doesn't sound like us. But this year, we're going to move Legacy Offering up. It's starting this Sunday, everybody. Welcome to Legacy Sunday. <laughs> And it's going to last through the month of August. <laughs> I seen somebody grab their wallet real tight when I said that. It's going to last all through the month of August. It's going to last all through the month of September. Because this year, one of the best ways we can help our community, if we can enlarge our footprint, and we are right on the verge of being able to purchase our own building that will allow us to do greater things. Can I get an amen on that? So we're right on the verge of that. Uh, we, are, we have verbals by every trustee in our house. We have verbals by the boards. Uh, there's two other boards that are involved. Uh, we have verbals. We have contracts. Not all of the contracts are signed yet, and, and not all of the money is raised yet. Remember that hand clap you just had? Man, it went from 60 to zero really fast. And uh, thank you, thank you, thank you, all right? Uh, um, and so we have a verbal to buy, many of you know, the building, the old Christ the King building on Riverside, and uh, refurbish that back to using it as a church. Now, let me tell you <clears throat> the challenging news, and then I'll tell you the good news, all right? The challenging news is that we need $400,000 to do that. Now... 
um, I had a meeting in this room on Friday night with approximately 40 people, and I said, the challenging news is we need $500,000 to do that. So 40 people have already given $100,000 or nearly $100,000, and so now the, the amount we need is even less. So let me, now, that's the challenging news. How many know this is true in our lives too? There's always a gap between where we're hoping to be and where we're at. Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. Let me see your checkbook and I'll show you what I mean, all right? (laughs) Right? There's always a gap. And so here's the good news, and I hope this is a celebration and an encouragement to your faith and an encouragement to where you've been sowing money. We are not starting from zero. We have, we have stewarded your finances in such a way that we need 400000 um, but we've already saved a half a million dollars of your money, of your tithes that you give every Sunday for the last four and a half years. We've saved a half a million dollars. Can anybody say amen? By the way... While giving away nearly $300,000 to church planters and dream centers and Colorado cities, so we're not just hoarding it for ourselves, we're planting it because a generous man will prosper. Come on, everybody. Right? Now, here's another good news. I'm glad you're clapping because the news gets better, all right? You didn't clap when I said we need 400, but that's okay. We'll keep on going. So we've saved 500000 and a gentleman, a, a couple in our church, sat down with me and said, tell me the vision again. I said the vision, and basically, long story short, they wrote Radius Church a check for $500,000. Come on, everybody. Can we say amen to that? Six or seven people have given us $10,000 in the last 24 hours or 30 hours or whatever it's been. Here's what I'm here to tell you. There is nothing too big for God. Now, I want you to understand something. 90% of churches that plant don't make it to their five-year anniversary. We are five months away from our five-year anniversary, and because of your faithfulness to answer the call of God, we have a million dollars, a million point one in the bank, ready to reach out to the next level that God has for us. Can I get an amen on that? So... But we got a little ways to go. And so for the next two months, I'm asking you, this is all I'm asking you, we're going to continue with the the whole values of Radius. We're not going to ask you to sign a faith promise. We're not going to ask you to sign a pledge card. We're not going to do those things. Because if you decide not to give, what am I going to do about it anyway? Send our bouncers to your house and, (laughs) you know, go all mafioso on you? I mean, what are we going to do anyway? God can speak to your heart, and I'm asking you to pray about what can you do to help us go to the next level. You can right now give on our app. You can give online. Just open the donations, and there will be a building fund. It doesn't say legacy this year. You can even today, to let me know what you're thinking, you can write an amount on a connection card with your name and just drop it in there and just say, hey, this is what God's put on my heart, because some of you know right away. I had a lady walk in here this morning and wasn't even at the Friday night, heard about what was going on and said, I'm giving you $10,000. I said, thank you, Jesus. All right. I mean, what else do you say? And so this has just been fun. And so for the next two months, we're hoping that we'll raise $400,000. 
on October, first Sunday of October, I'll give you a report. We hope to sign the final contracts on this on that first week of October and then have October, November, December for some remodeling. And, um, and that means all of us together doing stuff. We're going to have one giant life group working on our building. And then watch this. On our five-year anniversary, do a big old party in the new place and invite the whole community to come and party with us. Amen, everybody. Come on, everybody. Right? Now... Here's what it helps us do. This building, the kingdom of God is not about buildings, but how many know you need barns for the harvest, right, everyone? Now, it's the middle of summer here, and we're in the early service, and you can look around. There's not too many chairs empty, but come fall, it's a nightmare around here getting people in and out, and it's just crazy. Our children's workers are doing miracles in, those, in that one room with nearly 100 kids on a weekend. It's absolutely crazy. But here's what a building helps us do in a nutshell. I don't want to make the message about the building, but I want to fill you in. A building helps us fulfill our purpose because we all have a purpose. It doubles our seating capacity immediately. How many know we need that, right? It allows us to finally have a place to minister to our 10, 11, and 12-year-olds. We need that desperately bad. Amen. They sit in the service right now. And then it allows us to launch our youth ministry finally. Come on, everybody, right? And uh, it allows us to increase our outreach to the not just the homeless, but just to the needy population in our community. And it's the first step. Come on. How many know you got to lay foundation blocks before you can build the house? Our goal is not to come to town to do another church as normal. Our goal, we feel like our unfinished business is to launch a dream center. But we have to have the foundation block of our own place first. And from that foundation block, launch into the dream center. And we are making steps even right now for the eventual launching of our dream center where we bring in people, drug addicts, homeless people, teenage runaways, those that have been sex trafficked, we can bring them into a hotel for one year and disciple them in their, by giving them counseling, school teachers, uh, uh, and, and spiritual pastoring, all that for one year. Instead of giving them a bed for a night, we can disciple them for a year and turn them in to followers of Jesus Christ. Come on and say a good amen, everybody. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I love being a part of something bigger than me. I love being a part of and I love being a part of this church because, man, you're so easy to tell the vision. You're like, okay, sign me up. Half the time you want me to sign you up for something, we don't even know what we're doing yet. Uh, I love that. Um, but I want to remind you after saying all that, the mission is not for the spiritually elite. The mission is for all of us. The mission is not for those that don't have anything better to do or those with outgoing personalities. It's for every believer that is a part of the church of Jesus Christ. What would it look like if we got 100% participation from everybody that calls this their church to give financially to it, to come out on our work nights when we get ready for that, to fulfill these new... Listen, we, we clap about all these new ministries we can launch, but guess what? We need people to run those ministries, right, everybody? And so what would it look like if the church of Jesus Christ had 100% 
participation. And don't be intimidated by somebody that wrote a check for a half a million dollars. Don't get intimidated for somebody that wrote a check for $50,000. Because somebody handed me a check this morning for $500. And I danced just as exciting. Because it's not just about the money. It's about their faith walk. Believing God can do anything with their gift. Come on, right everybody? Now watch this, and i got to do the other two points. Man, I thought I was going to really have enough time today. I'm on point one in case you're taking record. All right, everybody? If all we do as a church is build ourselves up, watch how the world views us. Remember these Ninevites? And they watch the church over there. Oh, the church doesn't follow rules. Oh, the church doesn't do. Oh, the church, they're just, they're just after your money. Oh, the church is... When, when all we do is work on building ourselves up, the world views us as only trying to become more powerful. Jesus didn't come to be more powerful. But when we reach out with our blessings to help our community and the community that people live in, the world sees grace and love. I don't have time to go into it, but... Uh, Abraham did it. I'll give you the scripture reference in Hebrews chapter number 11. Hebrew, uh, 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 Abraham left. He had no idea what the future would look like, but he still obeyed God because he was looking for, can you give me the last part of that verse? He was looking for a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Here's all I want to say on that. I was going to preach on it, but I'm already out of time. Um, what we invest in on this earth will fade. But the treasures we lay up for ourselves in heaven, that's a foundation that will never be shaken. Amen, everybody? That's our purpose. Let me talk to you quickly about our place. I'll do it in like three minutes, and I'll do the last point in three and a half minutes. How many believe I can do it? Three people. The Bible says in the last days there will be doubters amongst us. All right. Number two is our place. Let me, talk. Let me talk real quick about our place. Jonah was called to a place. I won't dive into this as deep as I wanted to, but I just want to remind us that unless God has particularly called you to another place, this is our place. Mount Vernon, Tulip Town is our place. Come on, everybody. Skagit Valley is our place, and, and so we must engage in the needs of our place and marry our purpose with our place, and incredible things happen. Can you imagine? Oh, I wanted to just paint a picture for you, but you're already getting it. You're daydreaming. I've already lost you guys. You're already out there, all right? But if you could just imagine this community needs. Come on. We got to quit driving by going, man, the homeless is getting worse and worse. We have the number one place in the state of teenage runaways per capita. The number one place. What if we had a teen discipleship home? What if we took Triumph over here and we took it to the whole next level, not only to help troubled teens, but to help runaway teens? Come on. What if we could be a place that helps? Let me tell you, in case you don't know this, there's sex trafficking going on right here in our little pretty tulip town. What if we had a place to rescue those young girls? Some of them, they don't want to do that, but they got nowhere to go. What if the church quit being a place just to preach a message and became a rescue station? This is our place. This is our town, everybody. Come on now. And let me just say one more thing. And the miracle is in this place. The miracle, everything God's called us to do is right here in the house. 
The bad news is some of you don't know it yet. It's right here. Every talent, every teacher, every leader, every dollar is right here in the house. We had a chance to buy this building back in 2019 and we passed on it because the miracles weren't in the house yet. We weren't in a financial place yet without getting us in financial trouble because I want to hand this thing off to the next generation and I want it to be debt free so they'd never have to fight about money. Can I get an amen on that also everybody, right? Okay, so we've got to, we, we, we've got to understand this is our place. Okay, my three minutes is up. Let's go to number three. And we have a people. We have a people. We have a purpose. And we have a place. This is where we live. This is where we shop. This is where we breathe. And the church has the ability to make the place we live a better place. I love driving down the road and seeing a homeless person with brand new shoes on. I said, we did that. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great one day to drive by a big old hotel and say, we did that. Wouldn't it be great one day to see people that have their education and have a job and are in their right mind here worshiping together and look across the crowd and say, we had a part of that. Yeah. Amen, everybody? Come on now. So there's a people. In chapter 3, we don't have full evidence of the people turning to God. It does say that they stopped their violence. But nowhere does it say they turned to God. If you know Bible history, later they went and attacked the people of God again, okay? So it doesn't say that they really repented. It just says, at least for that season, they stopped doing some bad things to hopefully get God's favor. It's kind of like sometimes prison salvation. And, and you don't have to be in prison to have that. God, I'll do anything you want. Just don't let this happen. And God answers, and then we go back to our ways. And so there's some theologians that believe that's what's happening in, in, in the third chapter. Um, so some would say that there, there's more evidence of social reform than there is spiritual rebirth. However, there's an interesting point in that for me. The question is then, can, can we love people enough to help them even if they never believe because if you make every non-believer a mark, they feel like they're being sold, not loved. Can we love them even if they never, come on everybody, if they never, we started bike giveaways in Michigan and uh, I think the last one there before we ever moved away, we did, on one Sunday we did 700 bicycles and, and 1,500 presents. It was a madhouse. And every year I'd get criticized by somebody. Say, man, we're doing all this work and spending all this money. And we don't even know if they're going to start coming to our church. And I thought, how sad that Christians still think it's about them and how it benefits us. It's not, Jesus didn't come to this earth to benefit him. He came to this earth to benefit those. Come on, everybody. And so we've got to be a church that's willing to do whatever it takes, whether they believe or not. That's not our part. Some plant, some water, but it is God who gives the increase. He called us to love. He didn't call us to save anybody. He called us to love everybody, as we used to say it in Mississippi. All right, everyone? Isaiah chapter number one. Amen. I must have a Mississippi friend here. All right. 
Isaiah 1.17 says, learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. That's why we do backpacks. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case for the widow. If I could go on just real quick. What does it mean to seek justice and defend the oppressed? It means seeking equal treatment for every person group. Well, you know, if I was homeless, I would. You don't know what you would do. But by the grace of God, you got saved before that sin had incubated in that oven of your life. We can never sit back piously and say, well, if I was them, I wouldn't. You don't know what you'd do. Come on, some of you have done some things that you couldn't believe you did. Imagine if you'd have been a sinner longer, what you'd be talking about. You know I'm right. Listen to the crowd. Come on now. Leviticus 24, 22. i got to close. But it says, you are to have the same law for the foreigner and the native born. Ooh, I can't believe that verse is in the Bible. Proverbs 31, 8, 9, it says this. Speak up for those who cannot. They can't speak for themselves. They don't have a voice. For the rights of all who are destitute. Listen, let me just scrap that for a minute. My life, the reason I'm standing here is because one night when my mom had a gun to her head, someone knocked on my door and brought groceries into our house and told my mom about Jesus. We cannot forget those that are destitute and hurting. It is the mandate of the church of Jesus Christ. I'm going to end right there. Will you receive that, everybody?